giant robot smashing into other giant robots. This is the Giant Robots Smashing Into Other Giant Robots podcast, where we explore the design, development, and business of great products. I'm your host, Victoria Guido, and with me today is Lauren Mackler, co-founder and CEO of CoFertility, a human-first fertility ecosystem rewriting the egg freezing and egg donation experience. Lauren, thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited for this. Me too. I want to hear all about CoFertility. Can you tell me a little bit more about the platform that you built? Absolutely. CoFertility is really, like you said, we're, we're a fertility ecosystem. And at our core, we're enabling women to freeze their eggs for free when they donate half of the eggs retrieved to a family that can't otherwise conceive, providing support and education for everyone involved along the way. You know, we're serving two very different audiences. One side of our business, our freeze by co business, is targeted at women, you know, between the ages of 21 and 40 who might be interested in preserving their fertility. We know that really the best time to freeze your eggs, unfortunately, is is when you can least afford it. And so we've really taken on this access issue and, and hoping to bring down the cost on that front. And then our family by co business is for intended parents who need the help of an egg donor to have a child. So that could be anyone from people who struggle with infertility or gay dads, cancer survivors, et cetera. There are a lot of people that really rely on third-party reproduction to have a family, and we think it's time to really move that industry forward, and, and we're doing that in a lot of ways. So that's at a high level. Happy to dig in more on any part of that. But we launched in October, and things have been going well ever since. Wonderful. Yeah, I want to ask you more about, you mentioned the problem that you identified with when people who are most ready to free their eggs probably can't afford it. <laughs> so how did you really identify that problem and think I should start a company around this? Yeah, so it's a, a two-part problem. I think we see a big problem on the egg freezing side, which is truly cost. I think you know we know that women are starting families later than ever. For the first time in U.S. history, the average age of women giving birth now is 30, which is the highest on record. And the experimental label from egg freezing was removed in 2012. And so it's become much more mainstream for women to do it However, the cost to do it in the U.S. is like between, I want to say, $12,000 and $20,000 to do it plus yearly storage fees. And you know, there are some women who have access to doing it through their large employer, but for the majority of people, that's just not the case. And so you know, for women who are really trying to prioritize you know, their career or their education or maybe haven't found a partner yet, egg freezing can be a great option and certainly – you know, it's not an insurance policy by any means, and it's not a guarantee, but studies show that if you experience infertility later in life and you did freeze your eggs, you're much more likely to have a child than not. So we see it as a, a great backup option. Um, but again, cost is just like truly a, a huge problem. And then on the egg donation side, there are tons of families that rely on egg donation to have a baby. And, and I'm someone I should mention too, personally, Years ago, I'll make a very long story 
very short here. Um, years ago, I was diagnosed with an incredibly rare abdominal disease that put into question my ability to have a biological child someday. And so I started to look into what my options might be and, and egg donation came up. And when I looked at what was happening in the space, I just couldn't believe how antiquated it was and truly, like for lack of a, a better word, how icky it felt. It seemed really transactional and, and impersonal for everyone involved. And what I realized was that it was really like rooted in the stigma around egg donation that comes from cash compensation for donors. So traditionally, a, a donor is paid anywhere from $8,000 to $100,000 for her eggs, depending on, unfortunately, like her pedigree or, you know, sometimes her heritage, right? Something that might be, you know, a donor that's harder to find might, you know, require more compensation the way it's done today. And so we actually saw that, you know, many women who are interested in helping another family grow through egg donation can actually be off put by this idea of like cash for their eggs, right? It's like, ooh, like am I selling my eggs or like how do I feel about that? And it actually turns people off when it might otherwise have been something they wanted to explore. Mm -hmm. It also, I think, leaves intended parents without options that they need and really hurts the LGBTQ community that like relies on egg donation for family planning. So there's a lot there, and, and we felt that that was something that if we remove cash compensation, perhaps it's something that really opens up the, the pie of women that are open to and interested in egg donation and also might really honor the donor-conceived person on the end of it more than what's happening today. Studies have come out that show that you know donor-conceived adults find the, the exchange of money for, for donor eggs to be wrong and that they can actually find it disturbing that money was exchanged for their own conception. So our model takes out cash compensation and instead gives women something that they're excited about, which is preserving their own fertility as well, and really sets up the everyone involved for success. Yeah. I saw that in your literature, you bring this human-centered design to how you built the platform, which I think speaks to what a little bit of what you're describing there. And do you think that being a, a woman founder yourself, that allows you to relate and empathize to women who have this unique perspective or a different perspective on how egg donation should work. Yes. Yeah, egg donation and egg freezing, honestly, right? I think I mentioned a little bit about my own experience. Both of my two co-founders have also really, really been through it when it comes to their journeys to parenthood. Both of them have been through IVF. You know, one of them says, you know, her biggest regret in life is that she didn't freeze her eggs at 25. And now instead of just sitting in that, she's building a company to help other women not have that same regret. So building the company we wished existed when we were younger, right, lets us build something that truly is empathetic and, and human-centered. And it's unfortunate, right, that so much of healthcare is built and designed by people who while maybe they have good intentions, they're not building from a place of experience. And I think reproductive health is, is one of those. I think women need to be involved in designing those solutions, and too often they're not. Right. Yes. That makes a lot of sense to me. And I want to talk more about you and your three co-founders and how, how quickly all this has come together. So how did you know that your team of co-founders was the right team? Like these are your people you wanted to start this with. Yeah, it's an interesting question on so many fronts. I think 
There are people who spend a really long time like co-founder dating and, you know, use frameworks for evaluating co-founders. And truth of it for us is that it all happened very quickly. Hallie, who is the the person who connected the three of us, she is one of, of my co-founders and she's just someone I had long admired in digital health and in women's health. And there was a day where we like peripherally knew each other and she slid into my DMs on Instagram, right? Like you never know where, where a great contact may come from. And she asked me what I was up to, what I was working on. And the rest is history, right? Like I told her I had just left, I, I spent eight and a half years at Uber and, you know, launched new markets of Uber across the East Coast and then started a business line at Uber called Uber Health. And, and Hallie had always followed my trajectory there. And when she reached out to me, it was like, oh, what's it going to be about? And when it ended up that she had an idea centered around egg freezing and egg donation, given you know the experience I had had with my own fertility journey, just felt like how could this not be the right thing for me to go build? So I would say gut instinct is really, is really what it comes down to. Um, Hallie and Ariel, our third co-founder, had worked together a bit in you know their past lives. Hallie built a company called Natalist, which is fertility pregnancy tests, ovulation kits, and prenatal vitamins, things like that. And Ariel had actually built the first iteration of co-fertility, which was a fertility content site. And they had had that rapport already. And so that was something that I valued quite a bit, you know, really like talking to some references and getting opinions of people you trust, but your gut more than anything will, will help answer that question. Right. And sounds like there's that shared experience and mutual respect, which goes a long way. <laughs> yeah, that and also a shared vision, right? Like if you're aligned with someone in the first you know, month or so of talking about an idea and when it goes from like a little kernel to, you know, snowballing and, you know, becoming something real, I think it's a good signal. But if you're butting heads and, and disagreeing in that first really crucial time, it's probably a good idea to go in a different direction. Yeah. And uh, thinking along those lines, were there decisions that were really easy to make? And what were those? And on the second part of the question is what, what decisions were kind of challenging to make and, and what made those decisions challenging? It's funny. Hallie was just like, this idea is going to work. I know it. Let's do it. I am someone who likes to see evidence before making a decision. And so I suggested in those first like two weeks, like let's get a survey together. Let's ask women, hey, like, would you actually be interested in egg donation if it meant that you got to keep half of the eggs for yourself and that there was no cash compensation involved? So we asked a few influencers on Instagram to like put out our type form. And within like, I don't know, 24 hours, we had over 700 responses. Wow. And it was a very resounding like, yes, this is something women were interested in. That gave me all the conviction I needed to like go at this full force. And so I think like having that proof point not only was valuable to like help me get there, but it also helped investors get on board. I think some of the easy decisions were like there were certain investors that after meeting, I just knew like, yes, this is someone I want to be working with over the next few years. This is someone I who like sees the same vision that we see. And there were a few conversations with other potential investors where I was like, you know what? Like, that's not who I want to work with. Again, it's like I'm a very, very big on my instincts as it relates to people and, and trusting that. Great. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And congratulations on raising your seed funding. Thank and you. 
Was that a stressful process? Was it, how did you feel after that happened? (laughs) Parts of it were stressful for sure. I think the fact that I had never done it before was stressful. (laughs) Sometimes I like to call myself, before this, I was an intrapreneur, right? Like Mm -hmm. I pitched the idea of Uber Health to Uber executive leadership with a deck that was like very similar to what you would pitch external investors with in a scenario like this. So I had gone through a little bit of that, but never before had I done anything quite like this. And so I felt very lucky to have Hallie by my side through that process because it wasn't her first rodeo. But that I would say like, you know, trusting yourself and trusting that you can figure this out, like it seems so much more intimidating than it needs to be. No one is expecting you to fully know how all of this stuff works. It's very figure outable. Right. And what obstacles did you face in the last year that you've been working on this? The biggest obstacle, I would say, honestly, came down to having the time to both get a company off the ground. And I like to imagine like a an airplane, right? Like you have to figure out what kind of plane you're building. Then you have to find all the parts. Then you have to build the plane. And then the goal upon launch, I, I can like imagine it when I close my eyes, is like, getting the plane off the ground. And with a startup, like you can imagine, there's always a bit of like building the plane while you're flying it. But doing all of that over the last year, plus finding the right people to hire is two full-time jobs, right? Like you're like sourcing incredible candidates, you're meeting with them, you're pitching them the business, but you also need to evaluate whether or not they're as great as their resume makes them seem. Then you have to like, convince them to join your seed stage startup, then check their references and then put together their offer, like their offer package and then do all of their paperwork. And it was like all of these things that I took for granted at Uber for so long of like having recruiters and having an (laughs) HR team and like all of those things that like truly it is a full-time job plus building a company. So that for me was the hardest and, and hiring just at the early stage is so, so, so important because you know, you add one person and and that's like such a huge percentage of your team. So every hire has to be a great one, but you also can't wait too long to hire because then you like miss your goals. Right. Yes. And with all, there's lots of uncertainty going on in the world as well. I'm sure that makes hiring extra exciting. Yes. Yeah. I mean, exciting and also scary, right? I think exciting from the fact that like there's great talent that's looking in a way that, you know, that wasn't necessarily the case six months ago. But scary in that, you know, you have to – one of my biggest like or things that keeps me up at night is like what's the right timing to bring on new people so that your business scales appropriately but not too soon that you have people like waiting around for the work to come. Right. Yes. And speaking of scary, I can imagine the choice to leave a company like Uber and go and start your own business was thrilling. <laughs> Can you tell me more about how that happened or what what was the order of operations there? I'll go back to my like personal story a little bit. So I ended up with this disease that I, I had been diagnosed with. It was so rare and so not a lot of data on this disease that I decided it was – or these doctors were like, you know what? Do you have a sister by any chance? I was like, what do you mean? They were like, you know, it's, it's too risky for you to freeze your eggs just because we don't have any data on your disease. But if you have your sister freeze her eggs and donate them to you, you have them as a backup should you need them. So my incredible sister did that. And I learned a lot about the process of donation even through that experience. And 
went on to have three surgeries and ultimately was able to conceive without using my sister's eggs, which was crazy and exciting and and definitely gave my doctors a a shock, which was great. And when I had my daughter, it was like this light bulb went off of like, I have to build something in reproductive health. Um, if I'm, you know, spending my time building something, I want it to be spent giving people who want to have a child this amazing gift that I've been given. And it was like an immediate amount of clarity. And so after my maternity leave, I gave notice at Uber without a plan. I did not have a business idea. I did not have a job lined up. I just, I was fortunate enough to be able to do that. Um, But I almost think like releasing myself of that is what gave me the freedom to think about other things. And it was within a day that Hallie sent me that DM on Instagram without knowing I had given notice. So the universe works in mysterious ways. Uh, that's uh, wonderful and and so exciting and and that you just had a baby and then to be able to be in a position where you could start a company and almost feel like a, like I don't have enough to do <laughs> with a newborn. <laughs> I want to start a new company too. <laughs> uh, I know. I ended up the day we pitched our lead investors was my daughter's six month birthday. That's amazing. Giant robots smashing into other giant robots. Are your engineers spending too much time on DevOps and maintenance issues when you need them on new features? We know maintaining your own servers can be costly and that it's easy for spending creep to sneak in when your team isn't looking. By delegating server management, maintenance, and security to ThoughtBot and our network of service partners, you can get 24 by 7 support from our team of experts, all for less than the cost of one in-house engineer. Save time and money with our DevOps and maintenance service. Find out more at tbot.io slash DevOps. How do you balance that, like those needs of being a mom and maybe being sleep deprived, but also, you know, starting this incredibly important business that you're passionate about? I I mean, I'm very lucky that I have an amazing um, husband and sort of partner in all of this. We both are very involved in each other's work, and I highly recommend that if that's something you're open to. I think it gives you an outlet and someone to you know be invested in it with you, but also more to talk about with with your partner. But other than that, too, I think having boundaries. So I've been really, really specific with myself and with my team about what windows of time I'm with my daughter and I'm like meticulous about it. If that means on certain days I wake up before she does so that I can get some work done so that, you know, I have two hours with her first thing in the morning and then I'm, you know, off between the hours of four to seven so that I can spend time with her. If that means getting back online at night, I'm down to do that. I just... I won't compromise the time with her. And my team has been really respectful and, and honoring of that. And, and in turn, I really encourage everyone on my team to have a life outside work, whether that's with their children or, you know, their pets or, you know, having like physical activity or things like that in their life. I think it's so important that we're not entirely defined by our startups. I think that's how people burn out really quickly. And it's like 22 or 2023, right? Like we don't need to be in this hustle culture where 100% of our time is focused on building our company. It's just not sustainable. Right. I like that you mentioned sustainability and that's that's been a recurring theme I've seen where, yeah, the hustle culture leads to burnout and isn't sustainable. So are there other cultural or values that you impart onto your team, this new team that you're standing up to 
create that sustainability, but all, and that innovation that you want. Yeah, I think one thing we've implemented, um, I would highly recommend actually Matt Machari's CEO curriculum. You can find it by Googling it or I can share the link with you. And within his curriculum, he has something called the magic questions. And the magic questions, it's like five or six questions where you ask everyone on your team, like, how would they rate their life at work? How would they rate working with the team? How's their personal life going? Like, you know, questions that you can quickly get to the root of something, but then, you know, aside from rating, giving a rating for each of those questions, it asks like, how would you take it to the next level? And what I think implementing these questions has done is it's like each time we do it, it gives the leadership team something to act on of like, hey, noticed a theme like amongst the employees with this set of magic questions, like here are some things we can address to like improve that for everyone. And then there's also opportunities with each individual to say, hey, like manager of this person, like, you know, so-and-so called out that they're really struggling with prioritization this month, or they're really struggling with being split on these two projects. Like, how can we help relieve that? Or how can we dig in with that person so that the next time we ask these questions, like that's not still an issue and that we've been able to like take swift action to help improve that. I think that really helps to just stay close to what people are feeling and thinking and it also gives people, I think, more self-awareness of, of how they're doing and what they can be intentional about and address for themselves as well. I like that. I'll have to look up that book and share it in our, our show notes as well. And it's actually even all online. It's like a Google Doc you can look at. Oh, that's awesome. And there's also a book called The Great CEO Within by Matt Machari, but I love the book and the, the Google Doc version. That's awesome. Yeah. And it, it sounds like you really pulled everything together so fast. <laughs> Right. Um, I'm curious about your background. If you feel like there were, you mentioned that you pitched inwardly to Uber, but what else about yeah. your background kind of lends you to this leadership founder skill set? I mean, I joined Uber when it, in 2013 when we had, I think, fewer than 200 employees and we were in about 12 cities. So I very much knew startup life and I understood this idea of sort of, you know, building the plane while you're flying it and saw that. And so I, I think that certainly has contributed to this. It's important when you're a founder to surround yourself with other founders and to have people that you can tap into at any point. Uh, I'm in a few different like Slack groups with different founders, some other healthcare founders, some women founders, some through the VCs that we've worked with where it's really easy to say, hey, which payroll tool are you using? Or hey, like how do I measure employee NPS? Or you know, what tools are you using for this or that? And if you can tap into other founders, you really can move a lot faster, right? Like you don't have to write your entire employee handbook from scratch because you can borrow from other people. Um, I think that's one of the, the best hacks that I would recommend. And then some of these books that I've found that really do, you know, within that Matt Machari book, it's like, here's a way to like make candidate offers, right? Like obviously mm -hmm. the book isn't doing the work for you, but it certainly is helping to give you a framework. And then the other piece is like, aside from your own team, I think bringing in some advisors who you trust and can go to for certain things. So like two of our advisors are people I worked incredibly closely with at Uber and would trust with my life. And so why not trust them with my company, right? So bringing them into the mix has been a real relief. And then, you know, just so about your, your community, I think it takes a village to raise, I think actually I would compare 
built like launching a company to having a baby. Mm-hmm. So if, you know, having a baby takes a village, so does having a, like launching a company. Right. Or, or like a no founder is an island. <laughs> yeah. There's like a exactly. team, a whole group around that. That's I've heard even in the episodes I've recorded that it's a common theme among successful founders, which is heartwarming and understandable. Yeah. So last question about just uh, how it all got started, but if you could travel back in time to when you first decided you wanted to go after this opportunity, what advice would you give yourself now that you have all your present knowledge? I say this to even to our intended parents who are grappling with this decision of using an egg donor to have a baby, right? Like remain steadfast on the vision or the end goal and be flexible on the how, right? So if you're an intended parent, it's like, you know, remain flexible, like steadfast on this idea that you want to become a parent, but be flexible on the how. With Mm -hmm. a company, I think stay true to what that ultimate vision is. So for us, it's like help more people have babies on their own timeline and be flexible on the how. So exactly what our business model was or exactly what our go-to-market approach would be or exactly which product we were going to use to get there. I wish I had been a little bit more open to it being a winding road than I realized I needed to be at the beginning, right? So now I know that and I'm open to any possibility as long as it, it gets us to the same place. Right. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, let me ask you then about your your go-to-market strategy since you mentioned it. What was uh, unique in your strategy there, especially to target the specific consumers that you want to with this app? So I did follow a bit of an Uber approach, which is this idea of a soft launch. And the reason for that, so basically what we did was for the freeze-by-co side of our business, so for women who are interested in freezing, They have the option to join our split program where they donate half to intended parents and do it for free, or they can join our keep program where they freeze their eggs, but keep hundred percent of the eggs for themselves. uh, And we help do that along the way. However, basically we couldn't launch to family by code to help people find donors until we had donors, right? So it made sense to launch the freeze by co side of our business first. And I wanted the ability to market to them when we didn't have, you know, the eyes of the whole industry on us, or we didn't have tons and tons of consumers, you know, reading our press or things like that just yet. And so by soft launching with a quick beta Squarespace page, we were able to test our hypothesis, test our messaging, test our funnel, test our experience before really putting a ton of marketing spend behind it or having a ton of visibility into what we were doing. And I'm so, so grateful we did that. It let us like we went through, you know, probably five different versions of our funnel before we got to our public launch and our soft launch really afforded us the opportunity to do that. So by the time we turned on the family by co-side of our business, we already had over 50 donors on day one for them because we had already gotten these women through the funnel. I love that. And that's something we talk a lot about with founders at ThoughtBot is that I, validating your product. And you talked about it with your your Instagram poll that you did with influencers and the way you're talking about your go-to-market strategy is that you wanted to make sure that even though you for, you knew this is what you wanted to do, that you had the right approach and that you could create something that consumers actually wanted to buy and had trust in, right? Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. Now that you, you launched in October of 2022, are there any results post-launch that surprise you? I feel so grateful that our launch truly exceeded my expectations. So the interest from women in our programs has been overwhelming. 
And that has been like overwhelming in a good way. Um, And then intended parents are thrilled about it. So we are making matches every day of these intended parents and these donors. And every time we make a match, I'm like, oh my God, it feels like Christmas morning, right? Like you're helping people find their path towards growing their family. And there's nothing that feels better than that. I don't think that feeling is ever going to go away. So I'm thrilled about it. Um, But it doesn't mean that like it's not hard. I think back to that analogy of like having a baby, you know, you launch this company, you hope it's received well, you know, you count 10 fingers, 10 toes, like hope that it's received, hope that it's received. It is, but then you have the demand and you have, you know, inbound on partnership opportunities and you have managing the demand and handling the leads and things like that. And it's like so much more than you expect. It's like the same feeling of having a newborn of like, (gasps) how are we going to do all this? Am I going to stay up all night to like manage this? Or, you know, how do we handle what we're seeing? And so it's a lot. And figuring out what this new normal is, is something that my team and I are working through every day. That's wonderful. The the surprise is that it it feels even better than you thought it would. Yes. (laughs) Wonderful. Well, you know, for for myself, as uh, I'm in my 30s, and I'm married, and you know, I'm I'm not um, thinking about it at some point in the future, but what advice do you think you want women to think about regarding their fertility at any age, right? Like what would you, if you could talk to consumer directly like you are now? Totally. (laughs) Just that it's never too soon to ask those questions. And the information you need and should want is like inside your body, but ready to be shared with you, right? So by having a consult with a fertility clinic, and that's something my team could help you with, you can learn about like your prospects for having a baby and understanding how fertile you are. And just because, you know, they say, oh, as long as you're under a certain age, like you shouldn't have a problem, doesn't mean that that's the case, right? Like one of my co-founders was 28 when she started trying to conceive and was like completely blindsided that this was going to be a real struggle for her. And that breaks my heart, right? Like it doesn't need to be like that. If we're more proactive and we start asking these questions younger, then we can actually do something about it. So, you know, your fertility is really about your egg quantity and your egg quality. And both of those things are things that can be tested and and measured. And I think I'm someone who like loves data and having that data, I think can help enable you to make decisions about how you can best move forward. And for some, it might mean having a baby soon. For others, it might mean freezing your eggs. For others, it it might be a waiting scenario. But that's something that like you can make a more informed decision about if you have that data. Right. That makes a lot of sense. And I, I'll be sharing this episode with all of my friends and everything on Instagram as well. <laughs> Great information to put out there. And and what's on the horizon for you? What are the big challenges that you see coming up for co-fertility in the next months or year? I think really like scale is is what we're focused on. So we've started making matches. It feels great. Uh, I want us to be prepared to do those at scale. We are seeing no like slowdown in terms of people who are interested in this. And so making sure that our team is ready and able to handle that demand is like my absolute top priority. So I think scale is top of mind. I think, you know, making sure we're optimizing our experience for that is really important. So how do we make sure that everyone is having a a magical, smooth experience, both through our digital experience, but also like if they're on the phone with someone from our team or if they're reading our 
materials at their fertility clinic? Like how do we ensure that that's a great experience all around? Right. That makes sense. And right now is co-fertility specific to a certain location or is it nationwide? Nationwide throughout the U.S. Wonderful. Yeah. And you yourself are based in California, right? Yes. I'm based in Los Angeles. Um, and our team is fully remote, which has been a really exciting thing to do. We're in a, you know different time zones and have a, a lot of opportunity to visit people in different cities, which is nice. Oh, that's great. Yeah. How do you help build that culture remotely with a brand new team? Yeah. So for us, I think, you know, we're very intentional about having team offsites at least twice a year. We also get together for different things like planning meetings or, you know, conferences that are really relevant to us. But I think part of it too is is really around different touch points throughout the day. And, you know, we have a daily standup. We also are clear about like which hours everyone sort of overlaps based on their time zones and making sure that people are available during those windows. And then kind of giving everyone flexibility otherwise in terms of when makes the most sense to do their work, not being too prescriptive and and really, again, like encouraging people to have a life outside work, I think makes it so that we get the best out of our team. Right. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Well, wonderful. Yeah, we do a similar uh, thought about we have in-person meetups once or twice a year and then go to different conferences and things together and I think some people do miss a little bit of the office experience, but for the most part, everyone is is happy to put that mix. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely, I think for sure has its pros and cons. I think what I love about it is that we're not limited with talent, right? Like our team truly, like we have people, we have someone in Oakland, someone in Miami, someone in Charleston, someone in Boston, someone in New York City. Like the fact that we're not limited because of geography feels great. Mm-hmm. And and I admittedly really love the ability to like see my daughter throughout the day and feel like I don't have to stress over how much time I'm spending commuting. So I can't see myself ever going back. Yes, that's right. And, and LA was certainly a place to have a long commute if, that, <laughs> if you have it. And have you gotten any benefit out of like local networking and, and community around Los Angeles or Southern California? Yes, absolutely. Like even, you know, this Friday night, I'm going to a, a female founder dinner. I have something coming up in a couple of weeks with this group of women's health founders that I really love. It's so, so valuable to have people in your network that are both local and kind of get the life that you're living while you're doing it. You know, I think having people understand why your life is the way it is while you're building a company is, is really quite nice. So there are founder communities everywhere, um, mm-hmm. but seeking those out early is, is definitely helpful. Right. And then if you have a remote team, then each team member can have that local community. So yes. you're 10xing. <laughs> Completely. Yeah. Wonderful. Is there anything else, anything that you think I should have asked you that I haven't asked yet? No, I think, you know, one thing I would encourage is when you're trying to figure out your go-to-market approach or, you know, what the strategy is going to be, I'm a big fan of getting everything really in, in slides, right? Like get it in slides and bring in some people you trust, right? Like talk to your advisors, talk to your investors, talk to your co-founders or your team and say like, hey, these are the three ways this could go. Here are pros and cons of each one and making a decision that way, right? I think when we try to do it where it's like all in someone's head, 
and you're not getting it out on paper with pros and cons, it, it can feel like a really, really hard decision. Um, but when you see things on paper and you're able to get the opinion of people you trust, everything is able to come to fruition much more quickly and you can get to a decision faster. Right. So you're probably really buzzing with ideas early on and finding ways to communicate those and get it so that you can practice talking about it to somebody else. Makes sense. Yeah. It's like, how do you socialize it? That's a great way to do it. Yeah. Well, wonderful. This has been a really enjoyable conversation. I appreciate you coming on the show so much. And thank you for sharing all about co-fertility with us. Any other final takeaways for our listeners? Thanks so much for having me. If, if you're interested in all at what we're doing or it would be helpful to connect, our website is cofertility.com. You can find me on Instagram at Lauren Mackler, L-A-U-R-E-N-M-A-K-L-E-R. Happy to chat really you know, about anything as it relates to building a company or your fertility or just questions you have in general. Would love to chat. Thank you so much. And you can subscribe to the show and find notes along with a complete transcript for this episode at giantrobots.fm. If you have questions or comments, email us at hosts at giantrobots.fm. And you can find me on Twitter at Victorious G. This podcast is brought to you by ThoughtBot and produced and edited by Mandy Moore. Thank you for listening and see you next time. This podcast is brought to you by ThoughtBot, your expert strategy, design, development, and product management partner. We bring digital products from idea to success and teach you how because we care. Learn more at thoughtbot.com.